to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. I'm Rena Gleaser. Welcome back. Today's guest is Annie Helms from DLA Piper. We discussed her career and role at the firm, the pro bono culture in Chicago, where she is based, the Woodlawn Legal Clinic, and more. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Annie. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So let's jump right in. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to DLA Piper? Absolutely. Um, Well, I started my career as someone who thought that she would never work at a large law firm. Um, I I was public interest all the way uh, from day one. And I went to law school and I found that I just loved it. I loved every minute of law school. Um, I love the inter- intellectual challenge and subjects that I never thought I would like, like corporations became my favorite. And so I thought, well, I love this. Maybe I'll try working for a law firm. Um, and I did. I, I did on-campus interviewing like so many other people do. And I, I went to a law firm that was absolutely wonderful. Um, it was all of the kind of intellectual challenge and stimulation that I thought uh, one would get, but uh, being the public interest lawyer at heart that I am, I immediately gravitated towards doing quite a bit of pro bono work, and the firm was very supportive of that um, and allowed me some really extraordinary opportunities to be involved in litigating a death penalty case, a lethal injection case uh, that went to trial in federal court, and also uh, sentencing in a murder case, um, then those were just both incredible experiences. And at the end of them, I really realized that I had found, once again, my way back to being a public interest lawyer. Um, I knew that that was uh, what I got most excited about and where my heart was. So I decided to, to make that leap and at the same time got connected with DLA Piper, who happened to be looking for a full-time pro bono counsel. Uh, so I, it was kind of a perfect storm of timing and everything else, and I got this job that I'm so lucky to have. Well, I think that journey will really resonate with people. I know it reflects my journeys. <laughs> I think it does. Yeah. It's, not, it's not a unique story. Well, what, what do you think in your history or your personality sparked your passion for the public interest, for access to justice? You know, it's interesting because I listen to um, some of my colleagues at other firms talk in their podcasts and answer this question, and they all mention their parents, uh, which I think is so wonderful. Uh, My parents are both committed public interest lawyers and law professors, and from day one in my household, you know, justice was a common theme, Uh, hard work, justice, and, and, and doing good for others. And so I think that was just how I was raised. And it never made sense to me to have a career that didn't center around helping other people and using the gifts that we have to make the world a better place. Wow. So given your parents' background, maybe this is like a nature nurture thing. Definitely a nurture thing. <laughs> we could really delve into this. So you are in Chicago, which mm-hmm. has been in the news a lot recently for a lot of different mm-hmm. reasons. But generally speaking, what's the pro bono and access to justice culture like in the city? It's absolutely wonderful. We have such 
a wonderful community here of legal aid organizations, of law firms that really care, that are very honest to goodness, truly committed. And we're also really lucky to have the Chicago Bar Foundation here, which kind of acts as a hub and thought leader for the whole group. I have such respect for them. And they help us to stay organized and keep everyone focused on kind of the big picture access to justice issues in the city. So it's a great community. Do you think it's reflective of the town? I feel like so often pro bono vibes and access to justice vibes reflect sort of the culture of the city, the, the culture of the community. Do you feel like it's, you know, sort of parallel to, to, to the landscape in Chicago or perpendicular or, or something different? Yeah, I mean, I think the business community here is so committed and genuinely committed. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't live in other places, so I'm sure that's true in other places. But really, across the board, there is real concern uh, for what's happening in our community. There is real interest in being involved in a in a real way, and so I think it's it's very it's very Chicago to want to be on the ground helping people uh, as part of what we do. Um, so yeah, I think it's a great culture. We're, we're all nice Midwesterners too. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. World champion, uh, Chicago now, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Still have Cubs fever, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, so let's talk about your role as pro bono counsel. How do you spend your time? I always say that as pro bono counsel, I wear many hats. Uh, and I think that's true probably of most people in my position. The core of my job and, and what makes it great and and most rewarding is that I enable people to go out and make the world a better place. So I try to spend as much time as I can making connections for our lawyers so that they can be involved in pro bono, uh, helping them get the resources that they need, helping them find opportunities that they feel passionate about, and uh, thinking about how can we strategically as a law firm, commit our resources in the most impactful way. So that's really the core of it. I also spend my time wearing other hats. I, um, I think there's a mentorship role uh, involved in being pro bono counsel, helping people through, weave pro bono into their careers, think about it in terms of professional development. I uh, work with our outside clients quite a bit in enabling them to be uh, involved in pro bono as well. There's always other fun things like surveys and marketing <laughs> that I never thought would be part of the job, but can be, and and it's very busy. Yeah, and I'm sure no two days are exactly alike, and sometimes, no. you know, when you think you're going to be doing for the day at 9 o'clock, by the time it's 5 o'clock, you're like, huh, <laughs> not the day I thought it was going to be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much every day. Yeah, exactly. Um so let, can I follow up? I want to sort of ask you about a couple of the sort of responsibilities that you mentioned or, or mm-hmm. activities. One is making connections. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? I mean, does that mean sort of you're calling and emailing sort of groups or people that you read about? What, what does making connections mean? How, how do you go about making connections? Yeah, I think this job, a, a significant portion of this job is about relationship building. You build a network, and that's how you get things done. And so I try to connect in person, via email, on the phone, with my colleagues uh, here in Chicago. But in other, I have responsibilities for the U.S., 
And so in other offices, uh, connect with firm leadership, develop relationships with them, and then connect with the legal services agencies in the city who are out there trying to create a better access to justice system for, for people all over the country. And so my job is to get to know them too, to understand uh, what their goals are, what their challenges are that they're facing, how we as pro bono lawyers can help make their work easier and more effective, and then playing matchmaker between those different sides, introducing our firm lawyers with their goals in mind to the access to justice community and and helping create a bridge so that people can work together and get things done. So let's say you're reaching out to someone new, whether it's, you know, a city agency, um, a small local nonprofit, you know, someone who's doing something great mm-hmm. in the community. And you think, huh, you know, I think my people would would really enjoy providing some pro bono services. You know, they care about the mm-hmm. cause, the mission, there's a need, you know, whatever the reason is. Is there a typical response? I mean, do people just sort of ignore you at first? Or do they say, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't even know what like lawyers, what, you know, or are they, you know, immediately excited sort of what's the continuum of responses when you're kind of reaching out to someone new? I would say I'm in a very fortunate position that most of the time the response is really, you (laughs) want to help us and give us free legal services? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I'm available for coffee. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, it's a it's a good place to be in. I I usually hear back quickly if I do reach out to someone new, and and people are very enthusiastic. There are times when when especially when you're working outside of the legal community, maybe with a nonprofit or a government agency, where you're not dealing with lawyers. And so I speak lawyer speak, but other people don't, and uh, it it may take some time to talk through where a lawyer can be helpful and where maybe we could be less helpful. Um, so sometimes you'll, you'll meet with a nonprofit and they'll start asking you for consulting or accounting help. And you have to kind of have that conversation with them about what we're able to do and, and, and where the limits of um, our help are. Um, or sometimes it's, they haven't really thought about all the things that a lawyer can do on the other side. And, you can see this kind of moment of recognition when they get it and they think, oh, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> this is so awesome. Yeah. We won the lottery, so, right? Yeah, that's... yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's a good point of, you know, especially for people who operate in the legal bubble to remember there's a big educational component of this outreach, mm-hmm. both sort of in the, le- you know, what can we offer? What is available? What are legal services? And also on the pro bono front, I mean, Taproot and other groups have done a great job about raising the profile of, you know, professional pro bono for a variety of professions. But so many people still don't really know or understand sort of what that means. So the continual outreach and education, I think, is an important part. Yeah. And on the flip side, I think there are times when I need to educate our lawyers about working with a pro bono client. Um, not in a bad way. I mean, it's it's a new experience for them too. Um, and so understanding how a nonprofit works or, or maybe some of the nuances of working with somebody who is living in poverty 
or is who going is going through domestic violence. I think there's a learning curve sometimes to the lawyer as well. Oh, all around. That's a great point for sure. So we talked about how busy your days are and all the things that you have on your plate. Is there anything, you know, in an ideal world with endless time that you wish that you could be doing more of, sort of never gets to the top of your to-do list? I always wish that I could spend more time on big picture access to justice issues and project development around those issues. It's the best part of my job, and it's also where I feel like we can make the most impact. There's so much need. There's such overwhelming need. And on days when I feel like I can create something new or, or sit down with stakeholders and make an impact on a systemic level, that's when I feel like, yeah, like it, it kind of all clicks and you feel like you're actually moving the ball forward. So I, I always wish there was more time for that kind of level of, of work. Um, and it, it, it's not that it doesn't make it to the top of my to-do list. It's actually always at the top of my to-do list, yeah. but other things intervene too. Yeah, it's hard when you're running around putting out fires or, you know, sort of dealing with right. the pressing sort of email crunch and the needs of the day to sort of sit back and reflect and, and engage in the activities that, that move the needle forward on, on that type of systemic. Right. I, I think I once read an interview with President Obama where he talked about the White House being like that, where, you know, he you spend 70 percent of your time reacting and. 20% of it actually doing things proactively. I don't know what the other 10% are, but it made me feel better that the president felt that way. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm, <laughs> I'm comforted immediately. I also, people yeah. will laugh at me because a little bit of my strategy for that is just to get to the office like stupid, ridiculously early. And I am yeah. a morning person, so it doesn't bother me. I mean, I, I embrace it. But I feel like sometimes that time before the rest of the world, um, and it, it is it's more like the rest of the country because for the other parts of the world, you know, they're already up and running. But <laughs> but there is this sort of pre-office hours time where the email mm -hmm. pace is slower, the phone isn't ringing, people aren't mm -hmm. dropping by to say, do you have a minute? You know, and so it's it's amazing sometimes how if you can carve out sort of quiet space, you 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 get a lot done. But it's it's a I bit, love yeah. waking up in the morning, crawling out of bed, pouring myself a cup of coffee and working for an hour before my kids wake up. It's, yeah. it's sometimes the best part of my day. <laughs> it's a similar idea, right? Just kind of, yeah. if you can make yourself do it, right? If you can just get up, right. you know, and do it. it Especially it, when it's cold. Yeah. Ugh, it can pay off. So we talked a little bit about things that you do enjoy the most about your job. Do you have anything to add mm -hmm. that we haven't already talked about? Only that I love that the firm enables me to be in this position and that I work for this business entity that sees the value in, in making the community better. And the fact that I have this job and that I'm given so much support to do that is something I'm thankful for every day. Well, thank you for sharing a sentiment of gratitude. I, I think we all need more of that. So that's, that's a great message. And since you were talking about the support of the firm, Let's talk about what you found works best to incentivize and encourage lawyers at the firm to do pro bono work. What, what sort of tricks of the trade do you think seem to work to, to get people involved? I think leadership by example at every level, including my own. I recently took on a case where I 
didn't, it was a, it was a new experience for me. It was the return of a security deposit case. And I hadn't done one of those before. And so I grabbed an associate and I said, Hey, let's work on this together. And so we figured it out together and we got the security deposit back and it worked out well. And he came by my office the other day and said, I'll take another one. So, you know, I think that is really telling. And I think the other component of it is getting people out of their comfort zone. Pro bono is I always say it's a little bit like going to the gym. You don't want to do it sometimes. <laughs> Maybe if you've never been there before, it feels uncomfortable, but it, it sort of makes, you're always glad that you did it in the end. It makes you a better lawyer, makes you stronger. And so I think getting people out of their comfort zones and willing to take that first step is usually the key to getting them hooked. So that's a big part of, of what I try to spend time getting people to do. Could you tell us about the firm's Krantz Fellows? It's an interesting model, and I think people would like to hear about it. Yes, we are so fortunate to have the Krantz Fellowship. We are in, I believe, the sixth year of the Krantz Fellowship right now. And it started when we, when a partner named Sheldon Krantz, who has just a tremendous history of leadership in terms of access to justice and pro bono, retired from the firm. And when I say he retired, he went on to have many other full-time hats, including law professor and director of a new legal services organization. I don't think he's really someone who, who retires. Yep, yep. Here <laughs> um, in Washington, he D.C. From, yep, from the firm. Yep. And um, when he did, the firm created this fellowship um, in his honor. And what it was, was um, an opportunity for two of our first-year associates nationally. So people who had been through our summer program as summer associates to apply to spend their first year at the firm doing nothing but pro bono work. And we gave them the opportunity to either work on our domestic pro bono program or on a combination of our our domestic program and our new perimeter, which is our global pro bono program. And so, so we created an application process. We got uh, our first class of fellows And it has just been so wonderful to have these new lawyers come in and spend their first year with us. It's um, a great experience for, hopefully for them, um, but also for me. I love working with them. Um, They bring such energy and enthusiasm, and they always have such a good kind of can-do attitude. They're willing to roll up their sleeves and and jump into anything and everything. what we found is that at the end of their fellowship year, they have just incredible skills um, developed. Uh, I, I really think beyond maybe their peers um, in terms of being able to work independently with a client, lead a team, work with work with groups across offices, maybe nationally or internationally. They know so many people at the firm, so they have connections everywhere. They know the access to justice community where they fit. And so they start out as a second-year associate. Having left the fellowship, they join one of our traditional practice groups, and they're, they're kind of miles ahead. So it's been really wonderful to see that and to see how, through this unique experience, kind of everybody wins. It's, it's so, if the Prance Fellows win... Obviously, we're able to serve a lot of clients. It's helpful to the pro bono team, and hopefully it's helpful to the firm as well as they integrate into um, a, a, another practice. 
Yeah, I mean, it's such a great model in terms of, as you say, win, 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 right? Sort of winning right. and, and improving for everyone. And I think sometimes people look, look at these programs and they're always concerned, you know, will the participant be somehow behind in their billable, mm-hmm. you know, sort of progression or in that side? And I just like, I don't think the evidence bears that out. I mean, I think the skill development that people get puts them you know, on par or ahead, and they're they're serious law firm lawyers, you know, who, who yeah, sort of get absolutely. it. As and the glue, the stickiness that they feel for the firm is is heightened, and the value that they bring to the firm's pro bono program because they have real expertise. Then you know that they are then able to supervise and sort of bring as they as they march forward. Um, it just kind of hits on all cylinders. It, it's a really it's- um, wonderful model. It's true. They really become superstars and great firm citizens. The other thing that we started doing a couple of years ago was we, at the end of their fellowship, actually at the beginning of their fellowship, they're added to our North American pro bono committee. So they remain an ongoing member of the committee. And it was really special about almost two years ago now, we had a, an in-person meeting of our North American pro bono committee. And it was the first time that all of the Cramp fellows from across the country got together with Sheldon Cramp. That's cool. In the same room. And we were able to take a picture of them together. And then they started, you know, having a, I think they all, you know, went out for a drink together and they had a conference call afterwards to catch up. And they've, they've kind of formed their own alumni network, which is really fun to see as well. It's really cool. Um, and I just love the idea of honoring pro bono and access to just champions with which, you know, many firms have. And we're, we're getting to the point in time where, you know, people are retiring, you know, a certain demographic or, mm-hmm. you know, whether they're fully retiring or not, either way, they're having a change of, of role and a position and we're having some succession happening and transitioning. And what a great way to honor people and honor their legacy. It's not just a gold watch or, <laughs> yeah, that's cool too, right. but a really meaningful, sustaining and living tribute. I, I just think it's so smart and so inspiring. It really says a lot about my firm that that's what they wanted to do to honor him. And as we were talking about before, leading by example, it's a great role modeling fellowship, and I hope other people will take it and copy it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, let's let's replicate it for sure. Um, you were involved in an interesting project with the Legal Services Corporation with their pro bono task force, and it mm-hmm. led to your co-drafting a major report. Could you tell us a little bit about that experience and sort of your takeaways from from that enterprise? Absolutely, I was really privileged uh, to be a part of it. John Levy, who is the president of the board of the Legal Services Corporation, uh, when he first took on that role, he convened a task force um, of the board. Uh, and the task force was comprised of just incredibly impressive leaders in the law profession. And their mandate was to take a look at the private sector and make an assessment about how they could help fill the justice gap by doing more. It was at a time, right, I think, right after the economic crisis 
so many legal aid organizations were struggling and so many people were struggling. There was so much need. And so there just felt like there was this urgency to do something about it. And so this task force convened and DLA Piper and our whole pro bono team, this is actually kind of a joint project for our pro bono team. We volunteered to provide technical assistance to the task force. Uh, if they needed research, we provided research and we helped schedule phone calls and meetings and um, whatever we could do to help them along the way. Um, and so they they developed subcommittees, they met, um, and they they decided what they wanted to, to say. Um, and then I had the, the job of working with the Legal Services Corporation and their board of um, putting together a report that came out of it. Um, which really highlighted the, the various things that the committee had talked about and, and wanted to focus on. And following that, um, you know, anytime you write a report, you think, this is great. <laughs> and now what? Yep, yep. Because <laughs> it definitely didn't make the problem go away overnight, or it's not in and of itself a magic solution. But the Legal Services Corporation has really taken the recommendations to heart and has changed a lot, um, implemented quite a bit um, of the recommendations in it. And I, I think one of the most exciting recommendations has been the establishment of the Pro Bono Innovation Fund. They got a special funding from Congress to give to grantees to come up with really innovative and new projects that will use pro bono volunteers to provide access to justice. And, and part of the idea is that through this innovation, that programs could then be tested and replicated in other places, um, and that it would be a real means of, of kind of sparking new ideas. Um, and that program is now in its third year. I've been very privileged to be a reviewer for uh, applicants for their grants. Um, and now they have this cohort of programs that are receiving this funding, implementing it, testing their ideas sharing ideas. They get together before the Equal Justice Conference every year, and it's really turned into something pretty neat. So I'm, I feel very proud to have been part of that. Yeah, I really appreciate your sharing because I think often people hear something like task force and automatically, yeah. I can see <laughs> listeners out there, you're rolling your eyes and you're like, oh, right. task force, right? To nothing. I'm usually one of those people. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Lots of talking, not much doing, but I really think this was an example where an enormous amount of effort, there was a lot of bang. I mean, the, the work led to tangible results, right? And, and we've, mm -hmm. we're really seeing the impact of it. So I think it's actually a positive case study. Um, and it's really helpful for people to, to know about it. Um, you mentioned that one of the um, impetuses for the project was we need to do more to meet the need. And so mm -hmm. I thought maybe you could tell us a little bit about the Woodlawn Legal Clinic, which is mm -hmm. doing more to meet the need. Yeah, you know, being involved in the task force was an eye-opener for me because at the time I had been pro bono counsel for several years, but I don't think I really appreciated, before I stepped back and listened to so many of these experts and was involved in writing this report, I don't think I really appreciated the extent of civil legal need in this country. And, but at the same time, I recently created this legal clinic on the south side of Chicago in the Woodlawn community, uh, which is a, it's a very interesting and culturally rich neighborhood, uh, not too far from the University of Chicago Law School. 
And um, the clinic is a full services kind of, or brief services, I should say. It's a brief services legal clinic. Uh, at this point, it is a walk-in only clinic because it has become so popular that we can't keep up with the demand for appointments. And um, we take people who just come in and tell us whatever their problems are. And most people I sit down with, the first question I ask them is, what brought you here today? And it really is incredible. I go every month and to hear uh, the challenges that people are facing. And every month I go home and I say to my husband, we are so lucky that we are not dealing with being evicted from our home. And we are so lucky that domestic violence is not a part of our lives. Um, and that we don't have to figure out what's going to happen to our children um, if we need to move. It, it really is a grounding experience. And I mentioned before the idea of getting people out of their comfort zones. And it's one of the things that I love the most about the Woodlawn Clinic. We tell people, you don't have to take a case. You don't have to commit to us to do anything that you don't want to do. It's a supported clinic. Um, one thing that I think makes it extremely successful is that we work with LAF, which is the Legal Assistance Foundation in Chicago. They send at least two expert lawyers there every month who help make sure that our lawyers don't commit malpractice <laughs> um, and that we're giving good, sound advice um, to people who come in because we don't, we don't have people who are housing lawyers or um, immigration lawyers on of staff here. Um, so they, they provide the backup and the support and the expertise. Um, and so I, I tell our lawyers, this is an opportunity for you to go in in a supported way, get out of your comfort zone, hear about what people are experiencing, and to help them providing their legal advice. And I'll often have lawyers say to me, but I don't know anything about these areas of law. And I always remind them, first of all, you have an LAF attorney there who's going to back you up. And second of all, you're a lawyer. You are good at being a lawyer. You can take information in. And a lot of times people come in and they're all over the place. They, they can't even figure out where their issue is because there's so much going on. And so you can sit down and you can listen to them. And you can help them sort out what is their issue and what next steps could they take to help solve their problem. And it's amazing how often at the end of the clinic, somebody says, no one has ever listened to me before. I've been going everywhere I can, pulling my hair about, out, talking about this problem, and no one has ever taken the time to listen to me before. And so it's just such a grounding experience. And for me, it's, it's an amazing way for our lawyers to to have a window into how they can help um, in, a, in a kind of a non-scary yep. way. Um, and people come back. It has become one of our most popular pro bono activities here in Chicago, but also we've started having some of our clients come with us. And so it started with um, a couple of lawyers from Discover uh, sending their lawyers. They loved it. Their general counsel's done several times. Uh, then Hyatt called us and said, can we, can we come too? And we said, yes. <laughs> sure. um, their general counsel has come. Um, they send people every month. Uh, this 
month, we had another client call us and say, we heard this clinic is so great. Can we participate? So they came for the first time last night. Um, and the, it's also gotten really popular on the, on the client side as well. The word has, has come out. And so now we are facing the challenge, and this is a good indication of how, how strong the need is, that our clinic opens at 4 p.m. for business. And people have started lining up at 9.30 in the morning um, to be able to get have just have a 15-minute meeting with a lawyer. And so even though we have this great group of volunteers, we need more, um, and we need to be doing more. So I know that's a very long answer to your question. I get very excited when I'm talking about the clinic. Yeah, somehow I knew. But <laughs> I, I think, so it seems like it's the greatest challenge that you have now meeting the increased demand or sort of managing you know, lines that start at 9 a.m., or do you have other challenges? I think that right now, meeting the demand is, is something I worry about. Um, for many years, we did well in terms of having clients there. We were always had a steady stream, but we always saw every single person who showed up. And we were able to sometimes have longer meetings where necessary and really take the time with people. Now we're facing the problem where I, for the first time people have had to leave to pick up their children. Yeah. They've come and waited for a few hours and then had to say, I have to go. Or I think, you know, there were a couple of times when this very generous organization that helped that hosts the clinic in their space said we have to close the building. Our lawyers are always willing to stay right, as late as right. it takes. We have to turn but, the lights off now. Yep. But yep. yeah, we've got to turn <laughs> off the lights. Um, and so, you know, we haven't been able to, to provide service that way. And I, at the end of the night, I've, I've said, just call me yeah. <laughs> and we'll talk on the phone. Yeah. Um, because I really prided myself for many years that we never turned anyone away. And now I think we need to really, we have this great outpouring of volunteers and we need to probably even consider going to other firms or other people in the community and asking if they want to help too. I think there, there are so many takeaways from the clinic. The two that really speak to me are this idea, which I think is really important for people to remember, that lawyers have amazing skills. <laughs> we are problem yeah. solvers. And we ourselves may not see that we can add value to a lot of situations, but we really can. So you're getting people out of their comfort zone. It's an important message, right, that you, you have – capabilities that you may not even know, you know by virtue of your yeah. your training, your expertise, it's transferable, and you really, really can help. So we can create training and mentoring, and as you talked about, supportive experts who come and are, and are there, and so we can make it safe and successful. Just be there, you know, help. You really, you yeah, mean, you mean doubt the value you can bring, but you really can bring a lot. And I think I can't sort of emphasize enough how important it is for us to get out of our nice offices in nice mm -hmm. buildings and into the communities in which we live. That's really important. And doing things like this are just very eye-opening in terms of our being good citizens where we live. And there's a lot we learn by doing that, <laughs> you know, on a lot of different levels. And mm -hmm. that's that's a tremendous upside. Um the, the perspective that we gain from doing that. 
I agree. I often am thinking of ways also to get people to go to our busiest courthouse down the street here in Chicago and see what that's like too, because even litigators, non-litigators, people don't tend to practice in some of those courtrooms in their commercial practice. And to go in and really see what happens every day in landlord-tenant court is a, is a real eye-opener. So I'm a big believer in, in getting people out of their office and on the ground to see what's happening. Sure. And there's nothing better than a payoff of, you know, no one's ever listened to me before. You know, sort of thank you for your time. Thank you for seeing that I am a human being. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's life-changing. That's, that's really amazing um, and incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. So you've been in your pro bono position since 2006, around 2006? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, about 10 years. Yeah, about 10 years. So looking back, what do you think have been the biggest surprises? Um, what lessons have you learned? Or sort of what do you know now in 2017 that you wish you knew in, in 2006? I don't. I think right off the bat when I took this job, I was amazed at how busy it was. Yeah. <laughs> I think I yeah. mentioned that at the beginning. Yeah. That you live in this world where everyone, in a good way, is your client. You have a responsibility for the lawyers that you that work in your business and work at your firm to help them and enable them to have successful pro bono careers and make pro bono part of their successful career. And then you have this responsibility to the community and to all the legal aid providers to be the bridge and to help amplify the message that they need to send out to the legal profession that they need help and they need funding. And they need people to understand what they do every day. So I feel a great sense of responsibility towards them as well. And I, obviously, I feel that towards our pro bono clients, too. Um, I, it's, it's a tremendous um, honor, but also a, a, a real responsibility to help man the ship um, that, that helps all of these people. And so I, I want to make sure that we're doing the best job we can for them and that we're doing our work in the most impactful way. So um, I think that was a surprise, was that going into this role, I, I don't know that I appreciated all of those aspects of the job and the nuance of, of thinking of all those people like, like they're all my clients. And then what I've learned now, I, I think really I have over the years being involved with the Legal Services Corporation and with the with programs like the Woodlawn Clinic, I think I have come to see the extent of the access to justice crisis in a way that I don't think I appreciated when I first stepped in and the responsibility that we share for ending it because it's, it's not acceptable. And I don't think if, if we as a legal profession don't do something about it, I don't know who will. So we've looked back. Now let's look a little bit to the future. What's on the horizon for you and the firm's pro bono program? I think more of the same. We're doing a lot of thinking about how we can make more of an impact, be more strategic, bring, be more of a collaborator, not only in terms of working with our clients, but with community organizations, with non-lawyers, with whoever wants to help. I think we are focused on maybe trying to change systems. Uh, I mentioned the courthouse in Chicago. I think there's a lot that could be done to make things smoother there. And there are a lot of people who are smarter than me thinking about how to do that. I'd love for us to be a part of it. 
trying to build bridges and fill gaps where where we can be most helpful. And I'll give you one example of an exciting new project where literally <laughs> yesterday I was jumping up and down um, because I was hearing, you know, you create these things and you don't, you, then you kind of hold your breath and yep. you don't know if they're going to go well or not. And we just got some really positive feedback. So a year ago, we started talking to a couple of our clients that are in the suburbs of Chicago. So they're, they're not downtown. They're actually quite a ways from downtown. And they're very enthusiastic about pro bono, but most of the pro bono opportunities happen in the city. And so we started talking about, well, what could they do in their own community um, that might be helpful? And we worked uh, again with LAF um, and some other agencies to kind of do an assessment of where, where is there a gap and where can we make a meaningful difference? And we found that there is a courthouse in the suburbs that um, has a domestic violence call that they're just, there's a domestic violence courthouse downtown where people are volunteering every day. But in the suburbs, if you go in there and you're seeking an order of protection, there's a wonderful volunteer organization that have non-lawyers that help people but they're, they're not able to cover all the time. And a lot of times people walk in the courthouse and there's nobody there to help them. So we have, we got a few companies together. They all were completely enthusiastic about getting involved and helping. Uh, we had LAF train them. And now three times a month when there's no coverage in that courthouse, they go in and staff a shift where they help people who walk in get their order of protection filled out. And they, they do everything from getting their story to doing the paperwork. Then they walk them to the clerk's office, walk them through the filing process, take them to the sheriff so that they can get their service handled. And then they walk them to the door of the courtroom um, so that they, they have somebody there in this horribly scary process that otherwise they would have to go through by themselves. And the feedback that I have gotten from these companies is just tremendous. Um, people are really excited about it. They're asking for another training so they can get even more volunteers. And so I feel like that kind of collaboration and taking the time to kind of look across a system and say, well, where, where is there a gap? Where can legal aid not help? Because we just can't send lawyers out that far. And, you know, how can we be most effective together? It's, I, I'm, you know, I'm still kind of holding my breath a little bit because the project is young, but it, to me, that's the future is like these moments where you can find the, the gap and then do something about it. It's really cool. Yeah. So I don't want to jinx your project, but I am jumping up and down here too, <laughs> because I, for a number of years ago, I read this article about, you know, sort of poverty in the suburbs, sort of hidden, you know, sort of poverty. We all think of the city and inner cities and so kind of downtowns where our offices are, but not, you know, the suburbs or, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour out of downtown. So I have been thinking a lot about what I've been calling cul-de-sac pro bono, you know, sort of mm -hmm. what do we do, you know, kind of there. And so it's really exciting to hear that sort of we're in the game, you know, and we're we're sort of figuring it out and we're meeting the need and um, thinking about new entry points and sort of on-ramps. And that's really exciting. So you'll have to keep us posted. <laughs> I will. Great. Like, yeah. I, so far, so good. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Right. Um, so, Annie, if you had a magic wand, 
What one thing would you change about the firm's pro bono program? Gosh. Well, I might be a little biased. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm a fan. Sure. Um, I always, I, I want more. I'm greedy. and I want um, more lawyers to be involved and able to spend more time on top of everything else that they do, um, which I know is already a lot. Um, I want them to go out of their comfort zones more and take on something that might not be sexy, but really important, like helping somebody not lose their home. That's great. That's a great answer. So let's end with this. Who, and it could be more than one, is your pro bono role model and why? I mean, there's a clear answer to that. Uh, Lisa Dewey has been my boss for the last 10 years. She is the trailblazer at the firm. She was the first person to hold the pro bono partner title. And I can't even say how much I admire her. She's, She's so good at what she does. She is such a good mentor. When I talk about leading by example, she's somebody who does that every day. She has such a good attitude. She never gets discouraged. It's just been a real honor to be able to work with her. Well, I have a call with her this afternoon. So should I tell her or maybe I'll tell her to listen to the pod, you know, and be surprised. I think I'll do a teaser. I'll do a teaser. She can wait. It'll be a it'll be exciting surprise. Well, Annie Helms, thank you so much for talking with me today. It has been such a pleasure and incredibly inspiring. Likewise, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much to Annie for joining us. To learn more about us and the upcoming PBI annual conference, please visit our website, probonoinst.org. You'll find quick links to agendas, registration, and sponsorship opportunities. As always, we're grateful for your generous support, which makes our work possible. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, feedback, and suggestions to probono at probonoinst.org. New and archived episodes of the podcast can be found on iTunes and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. And please take a moment to leave an iTunes review. We'd appreciate the feedback, and it would help make it easier for other listeners to find the show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Pro Bono Happy Hour.